From the southernmost point of Dorne to the lands of always winter and what is west of Westeros and the shadows in the east, this is Casterly Talk, and I'm Cat Knapsack, and we have reached a big one. Oh, we are looking at Season 3, Episode 9, titled The Reigns of Castamere, but it might as well have been titled The Red Wedding. Oh, here we go. Let's look back at this can't say wonderful episode, but I can definitely say memorable and definitely say important. Though, I think it's wonderful as well. This is this is an episode that you just mentioned it and people are immediately transported back in time in their minds and more importantly their crushed souls as they relive this one. Or you might be a book reader that threw your book across the room or that you stared at the page and you couldn't believe what you were reading. And then that meant, on June 2nd, 2013, you might have been giggling quietly to yourself on a couch full of friends as you secretly videotaped them as they came up to this big moment because you knew they weren't book readers and they didn't know. Oh, uh, we're going to talk about all that and what it uh, what it might mean. What does the Red Wedding mean? What is the why of the Red Wedding? Which is one of the things we are doing here on these Game of Thrones rewatch episodes. Hey, everybody, if you're relatively new to Casually Talk, we've been going for a few years. In fact, we used to be called a show uh, Daily Daily Thrones on Anchor. Now we're over here on the Blue Wire podcast feed, part of the Good People Association Network. And what we love doing here is looking back, not just rewatching the episodes and going, hey, there's that thing we know. There's that plot point we know. I know that character's name. Hey, remember that? We love analyzing what is behind it all. The themes and the lessons and why all these things make us still go back to the show if you're that type of fan. Some fans came and went. They watched, watched the show and it was big and they moved on with their lives. I'm almost jealous of those folks. Uh, this is not something that I was ready to move on from because it's it's just part of my life. This fandom, this Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire fandom is part of my life, much like Star Wars and some of the big properties. And you out there probably have a property that stuck with you, not just because of what you were watching on the screen, not just because of what you were reading on the page, but because of what it did to your soul, what it taught you, what it made you think about, the options it made you weigh. These are the modern myths, the fairy tales of our lives. And every fairy tale has a lesson deep down inside. And I think that is why these episodes particularly this one, resonate with us. And it's also a damn good show and still is a series of damn good books. George, we're rooting for you. Get to it. Get to it. As I said, original air date of the show was June 2nd, 2013. Interesting to note, they had taken a break. You might remember that. It was a two-week break, Memorial Day weekend. Uh, one of the reasons was for that was in Season 2, Episode 9, uh, Blackwater, Battle of Blackwater Bay. Big episode. We love that one around these parts. Team Stannis here. Uh, Stannis, you had the... You fumbled on the goal line. Anyways, that episode was aired on Memorial Day, and the ratings were significantly uh, lower. Uh, the number of viewers, lower. So HBO, hey, this is a business. We're not just here to sell Funko Pops. We uh, we got to get some... Uh, we got to get some clicks there. Uh, we got to get some, uh, well, back then it wouldn't have necessarily been clicks. It would have been actually uh, tuning in. Uh, so they uh, took the Memorial Day weekend off, which is something I do believe uh, kept, as a tradition that kind of kept going the rest of the show there. And I know season eight uh, aired a different part of the year. Uh, but for the bulk of the show, I think they did take that break off. And it was always, it was always frustrating watching week to week 
but it's also nice to take a, a little break. Gather your, take a deep, deep breath, gather yourself before what you knew was coming with uh, maybe episode nine, which was uh, uh, definitely a tradition by now. Season one, episode nine, Ned. Season two, episode nine, ah, the battle is over, we have won. And now this one here. But even then, if you weren't a book reader, you weren't fully aware of the Red Wedding, this caught all of us off guard. Excellently directed by David Nutter, who returned to the show, having directed a, a couple prior. And, of course, he would be with the show off and on to the very end. And known for, whereas Miguel Sapochnik takes over for eh, the big battles and those kind of things. I think Nutter is definitely one of those directors, veteran TV director, who was able to to really uh, pull the character stuff uh, out of um, smaller scenes uh, while also putting some big action out there. And uh, this sequence... Uh, I just don't think David Nutter gets enough credit for uh, doing his part to put together the Red Wedding. A lot of people put it together, of course, and uh, perhaps uh, most notably, uh, Benioff and Weiss. Uh, Dan and David. uh, David Benioff, D.B. Weiss, the credited writers on this episode. Cinematographer was Robert McLaughlin, uh, which is, uh, he did very well because a lot of this episode is low light. Now, later on the show, it takes some heat for... uh, Shooting stuff in low light, I think uh, back then the, the TV technology was just kind of a, you know, you didn't have to worry about what settings. And and, and, and I'm not throwing any shade on on the, the crew behind the, the, the long night in season eight. I love that episode, and I was fortunate enough to just have my TV dumb luck had it on the right settings, I guess, and I, I didn't have a lot of problems seeing it, but I understand a lot of people did. Uh, this episode, cinematographer Robert McLaughlin uh, really did a great job shooting a lot of things that were dimly lit, a lot of dark corners pl- at play in this um uh, episode. Editor was Oral Nori Ote, uh, who should be noted that Oral Nori uh was actually nominated for an e- editing uh, Emmy for this one. Didn't win, but was nominated uh, with good reason. Uh, and David and Dan got nominated for an outstanding writing Emmy in a drama series for the uh, was I believe it was the 65th annual primetime Emmys. Michelle Fairley, not nominated, and this, uh, if, if you do this and you don't get nominated, what's the point of acting awards at this point here? Uh, at least nominated. Win, maybe I, but Please get nominated. Oh, that that kind of burns me. Uh, 5.22 million people watched on the premiere. There was a second viewing that gained almost an additional 1.5 million. Uh, very uh, well received and uh, a lot of people watching this one. And, of course, as I said before, a lot of people secretly uh, uh, taping people on their phones. Uh, and, and a lot of uh, reaction videos going viral. One of the things I remember is Maisie Williams going uh, kind of viral with a video, that whole uh, my mother, my brother, they dead, they dead, that kind of, uh, that little clip she had, which is really funny as well. I remember that as well. So uh, let's dive into the reigns of Castamere, and also let's talk about perspectives. I'm speaking a lot, a lot of you longtime listeners and viewers here to Casually Talk. Thanks for listening, or thanks for watching as well, or maybe just watch on YouTube, this is a, a podcast first and always, so you're just kind of seeing a man with a bushy beard recording his Game of Thrones podcast for now. But my perspective is this. When this episode aired, I knew the term Red Wedding. I, I just assumed that had something to do with Joffrey. I had been reading the books at this point, uh, but doing uh, and reading the maps, uh, I think, you know, starting to get some of those apps on your phone, the Game of Thrones maps, but it was very... Very careful to avoid spoilers. Uh, very careful. Didn't read ahead. Did have a kind of a moral quandary. I uh, got to Storm of Swords. 
And I'd known just from some of the interviews that seasons three and seasons four of Game of Thrones were going to kind of divide that book up, so to speak. So I was like, do I read halfway through the book and stop? Is that how they're going to divide it up? Is that straightforward? And, of course, the answer for that is no. So I just decided in the end I uh, wasn't going to read Storm of Swords till after this um, after the season. But after this, and particularly after the Red Wedding, uh, pushed on by some friends of mine, I just was like, I'm finishing the series as we had it now up to book five. So I went into season four knowing everyone. And then I was in the position with season four and some of the big stuff in that, uh, in that season where I was kind of the one. I didn't actually tape my friends, but I was in the room, particularly uh, – Red Viper stuff we'll get to. I was in a room in Las Vegas with, with a friend just kind of looking at him like, because eh, 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 it was like his favorite character. And and and, and it's kind of fun, you know, the no, you know that know-it-all energy that you can uh, sometimes have. And uh, book readers uh, can get a, a get get a bad rap, but I understand it. it it's, it's more than just, hey, I read the book or it was better than the books. It's more, it's just, you know, it, this is a very important thing. And the book and the show do such a good job of pulling you in getting you invested with these Starks, getting you invested with these characters, and then we just have decades, centuries even, thousands of years even, of just used to hero's journey, hero wins, good guys win. Uh, it's just how a lot of stories go, and you can find little examples along the way that maybe don't follow that, of course. But in general, you're sitting down, you're rooting for the good guys. The show's usually about good versus evil, good versus bad. And you can't be faulted to just kind of going into this episode unawares of what's going on. But we know this isn't the only time the show has done this, and we're going to talk about that in a bit. So I myself, uh, looking back on this episode, uh, trying to go back to that day in uh, 2013, was ready for something, but had completely guessed wrong. That had more to do with uh, the impending marriage of Joffrey and Marjorie. Now, Purple Wedding, we got that coming down the line, too. Uh, the next season, obviously. Uh, so I was pulled in. And I was one of the ones who thought, well, this is a tough spot for Rob to be in. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of that, um, you know, the path to this event. But when this show, this episode begins, and, and you know, Second Sons, episode eight, had kind of ended with this thought of attacking Cashley uh, Rock, I almost said Cashley Talk again, the name of this show, not where Rob was going to attack. That I kind of when this episode begins and Rob and 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 uh, Catelyn are are talking about this and he's asking for her advice and there's a kind of a theme at play of Rob moving past all mistakes, some forgiveness, maybe hoping from some forgiveness uh, from his mother to him and just saying, you know, I, I made some mistakes, I haven't listened to you, and let's do this and and her great line of show him uh, how it feels to lose what they love, boom! I mean that that pulled me in. That's all I needed. I was like, this is going to end well. <laughs> this is gonna end. We're gonna have a wedding, a party, then we're gonna go take it to the Lannisters to casually rock. Wow. And it's just, uh, that's why I do think this was a wonderfully written episode and just well crafted. Does it play with us? Does it play on our emotions? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it hurts and hurts so good. I actually really love the use of uh, kind of dark and at times subtle humor throughout the episode. There's some great beats with the Blackfish, Ed Martelli, the wedding, the reveal of Rosalind Frey, even Walder Frey kind of looking like a Rob Stark, like, hey, yeah, you could have had the pretty daughter, uh, you know, and there's some some dark humor behind that, uh, uh, and uh, you got a really um, 
you know, uh, bad, Walter Frey's not a nice guy, this we know. Uh, but his uh, kind of the, the whole scene with the, the daughters and his granddaughters and his nieces, and, and you know, you could have had any one of these or some really disgusting stuff in there from Walter Frey that uh, we, we shouldn't uh, overlook, but I think was there for a purpose. And we just absolutely despise this guy and we want the good guys to win and the good gals to win. And Walter Frey is just horrendous. But there's also humor through that that uh, just kind of totally disarms you. It throws us off the scent. It's a distraction. It's it's well-constructed feints and dips and dives. And, and I think that's, again, why this episode is so good and really does stand the test of time. But it does all end with Walter Frey saying, the wine will flow red, the music will play loud, and we'll put this mess behind us. And I even right then at that moment was like, great, happy party to end the episode. Here we go. So it was a stunning storytelling in television and, uh, you know, all credit. All credit due to George R.R. R. Martin for this. Uh, it's often been talked about, about uh, the historical uh, uh, events in, in real life that he, he, he drew from here. Uh, the Black Dinner, an historical event that he, he kind of threw in here. And, and we know George just such a fan and student of history. So it just, it just kind of made sense would be here. But then the stories of George saying, I... I so kind of, you know, I fall in love with my characters. I understand these characters. I, I see the world through their eyes. And that's how, I, how deep I get into the writing of, uh, of these stories with these characters. And so I couldn't write this one. It hurt me to write this one. Uh, and and I, I kind of still uh, love hearing those stories. If you even heard George, but it didn't stop him. It didn't stop him. So he did such a good job. And then uh, Benioff and Weiss have always said, they say it in a lot of the post-show comments here, they always said, when they got to this point in the books, when they're reading, they knew that they absolutely wanted to do the show, to try to do the show, and to get to this point. And that was one of those, we just want to get to this point. Can, can we get seven, they wanted, what, 70 episodes, 70 hours of television, television was what they hoped uh, they were going to get from HBO. Um, they ended up getting the eight seasons and, what, about 73 hours of uh, television. Uh, um, but they just wanted to get to this point. And we've talked about it. We've tracked about it. By this time, by this time, Game of Thrones is is uh, absolutely uh, encamped in the hearts of our lives. Uh, and, and at Comic Cons, they are they are rock stars. Uh, Twenty thirteen was the first Comic Con I got to attend, working with the Schmoes. No guys, actually, back then it was just Mark and, and Christian, and, and we were very fortunate to get to some parties our first couple nights there. And George R. R. Martin was there. Kit Harrington. Uh, uh, Rose Leslie was there, and, and uh, uh, Richard Madden. I got to actually got to meet Richard Madden, and they they just I, I've, I've described it before on the show. Rock stars, they just absolutely rock stars, top of the game. And this was uh, in many ways the height of that show in terms of just we still had so many episodes ahead of us, so the fear of what might happen wasn't there. We were still so just in the world pulled in, and and uh, why I love the show from beginning to end. I can't argue the 2013, 2014 kind of era, even in 2015. At Comic-Con, it just was a good litmus test of, of the level uh, where they were. Uh, it was crazy. It was crazy to see, crazy to be part of, fortunate to uh, uh, shake Richard Madden's hand, uh, met Kit Harrington. Uh, it was a good memory. And, and that's also why all of this hurt. <laughs> all this hurt so much. We love these performers. We grew to love them uh, as fans. We grew to love uh, what they brought to the show, and they, we grew to... Uh, really respect what they done. And and it's interesting, you know, Richard Madden, uh, and we're going to dive in. There's a lot of other things in this episode, but Richard Madden, I, I love hearing the stories. Uh, Benioff talks about it. Of He comes in. We all know um, Rob. Rob Stark is not a POV character in the books. But uh, what Richard Madden brought to the role, it just, they decided they wanted to do more of him. And I, I really think there again, too, when the show tells its own story 
and knows what it needs to do as a television show. It took a lot of the moments in the books that are off page, that are just mentioned, uh, that have to do with Rob, uh, and, and explode them a little bit, blow them up, and make them into stuff that's just more important. So we're feeling so we can have this character behind it. I'm not saying George R. R. Martin's version in the books is less effective. That's clearly not the case. But even he says, hey, look, Rob wasn't a POV character. Uh, Talisa, of course, is a show creation. Jane Westerlin's not even here. Blackfish isn't even here. A lot of those little subtle changes for me on the show made this tremendously more effective for me. Not pitting it against the books at all. I know people who literally threw the book across the room. So heartbroken by it. Couldn't pick the book back up. It works. It absolutely works. But the show knew what it had to do, and it knew Rob Stark, Richard Madden was at the forefront, along with Michelle Fairley and others, and Ona Chaplin, of course, with Talisa. And it was well-crafted to hurt even more by the time we got there. So that's kind of uh, the perspective. And uh, just the, the the moments after. I think I want to talk about that now. I love talking about kind of my reaction then, my, the, kind of the episode's legacy now. Back then, I I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I couldn't believe that this was happening, uh, that the the Red Wedding was uh, ripping out my heart in front of me, and that this is what was uh, everyone was talking about. Um, and also, side note, kudos to a lot of you. Uh, this is a, a lot of book readers, whether it's Game of Thrones or other properties. I mean, pretty soon you're going to hear problem. You're going to have problems with Wheel of Time book readers too. Um, I got to give the, the the book readers and those in the know really sat on this information. And it wasn't like a memo went out to all the – have you read the Song of Ice and Fire books? Here, here's an email. We're, we're going to keep quiet about this so the non-book readers will get to enjoy it. There's just – everyone really sat on it. And even in the days of social media, you know, early days enough. I mean, 2013 is a long time ago, but we still – Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff has been around for a bit. I, I didn't experience – I don't know if anyone out there experienced something differently, but I did not experience any even tip-off. There wasn't even clue from fans, just like, oh, you, you got to watch this episode. But that was it. That was it. And I, I give credit to everyone there. But I, I couldn't believe what I was watching. But then upon seeing it and processing it, and I sat in silence, not unlike Ned Stark's death, uh, Battle of Blackwater Bay, it's a different kind of, kind of number nine feeling. And in season four, what happens in episode eight uh, with Red Viper, boom, that left me, even after reading the books, it left me kind of catching your breath, um, processing what you just saw. Uh, Ned Stark is sat in silence. This absolutely sat in silence. And then the show decides to let you live and stew in that silence with their choice to have no music over the end credits. I think one of the best uh, choices uh, the show ever ever made. And they, they use that effectively again with Hard Home, I thought. Um, I, after processing it, what I couldn't believe is not that I couldn't see it, uh, or that I, that it happened, that I, I couldn't believe I didn't see it coming. And we love looking at these episodes and saying, hey, when you watch all eight seasons, you go back, so many things have more meaning along the way. And not just in terms of indicators of things to come, but I always give the example of uh, season one, episode four. Uh, I believe it's season one, episode four, when, when Ned and Catelyn look at each other for the last time. They don't know it. We at the time might not have known it, um, but that's the last time they see each other ever in their lives. I love going back and looking at the show. And so you go back and you start tracking, start tracking this back to even season two. And all through this season, stuff with Roose Bolton, uh, Tywin Lannister writing the letters, uh, Lannister sending their regards. Everything is just 
rolling out in front of you. You now know this was unavoidable. Uh, D.B. Weiss talks about the inevitability of this scene and how that was part of the legacy, I think, of the Red Wedding was, oh, no, and then, oh, how could that not have happened, and how could I have not seen that? Again, you're going along for the journey, and I'm going to talk about that in a bit, looking maybe uh, beyond it. Now, what is this episode known for? That's something we love to look at in every uh, episode here of Casterly Talk. Uh, the Red Wedding. <laughs> the headline, right? But also, I, I think we should talk about some of the other big moments here. And we'll talk about them more on an individual basis there. And we'll spend most of the time on the Red Wedding here. But but Danny gets Yunkai. Uh, Dario, Grey Worm, Jorah go in and uh, help liberate Yunkai for her, which is important for Danny. It's important for the story. But also it leads to one of the more heartbreaking moments if you're a Jorah Mormon fan, that scene at the end when he comes rushing back and uh, Daddy's kind of like, great, awesome. Hey, where's that Dario guy? Oh, and the heartbreak on Jorah's face. I felt that one as a Jorah fan. Oh, that felt deep. And that's, uh, that's a talked about moment in the show. That's in this one too. This episode is so big. Uh, John and Egret, I call it the John and Egret breakup. Um, there is a lot to discuss there, a lot to discuss with John and uh, where his heart was and the lessons he's still learning, but where he wants to take those lessons and, and when he decides to kind of pull back from what's going on with the free folk. And even though he values them and he's learning from them and he's learning from Egret and he's even learning from Tormund, when he decides this is a code that I'm not prepared to break and when, when he decides to run from that and, and do what he has to do. Uh, and it's important for uh, Egret and her character and leads to the pain that's coming in season four. This is, like I said, for lack of a, a better term, it is essentially the breakup. Also important uh, is stuff with Bran. And we'll talk about some of the impact on the story and us, uh, and us as an audience in a second. But Bran decides to, commits to this heading north, but heading north kind of uh, only with the reeds. And Osha and uh, Rickon, of course, sent uh, a different direction there, sent to the last hearth. Uh, I think that's rather important uh, for this episode as well. So uh, and there's some great little stuff with uh, Sam and Gilly uh, following over, uh, following up from uh, last week's big reveal at the end with the killing of the White Walker. Uh, so this episode is rather big. And like I said, I even joked last week reviewing Second Sons. That is, uh, I always think Danny takes Yunkai, Yunkai in that episode. Uh, or that she gets Yunkai in that episode, uh, and that the Jorah moment's in. But it's not. It's here. But the course of Red Wedding is going to dominate. Uh, looking at uh, the impact on the story, and we'll dive into the themes and lessons here in a bit, but let's take a look at what this episode, The Reigns of Castamere, did for the story of Game of Thrones. All right. The Hound and Arya is one of the big things about this episode as well. There's some great moments in here, not big giant moments that might uh, supersede some of the bigger events uh, in the show to discuss, but uh, some important things with both of them and how they are imprinting on each other and how right from the get-go, we, we are not necessarily happy uh, with the Hound revealing a lot of the stuff about Arya, going back to when he's first captured by the Brotherhood, then he uh, uh, essentially kidnaps Arya as she runs away from the Brotherhood, and this uh, we're, we're, even though we have some uh, positive feelings that have been forming for the Hound over the while uh, so far in this show, uh, you know, I, I don't think any ton of people were rooting for the Hound at this point, but I think this is one of the episodes where you really start to, you started to see it kind of last episode, where he reveals to Arya, no, I'm not taking you to King's Landing, we're, we're going to reunite you with your family, I'm going to get paid for it, but we're going to do that, 
And with Arya being so close to home, so close, but we'll never really get home again. That This really has a lot more meaning now when you look at it. Uh, literally, the hound's saying that to her. You're so close, you feel it, you fear you're never going to get there. And she never does. She never does. Uh, she gets back, and that's the thing. When she does get back home, so to speak, it ain't home anymore. She has family. She has family pride. She defends the family. But we know. What is Westeros? Westeros? Arya's going to find out. She's never really home again. She's kind of her home in a way. Um, that's not me. That's not me. The, the Arya theme um, that uh, shows up time and time again in this episode really drives it home because she's still in that um, wanting to get what she thinks is home uh, type of thing. And it's, it's heartbreaking. It really is heartbreaking, especially uh, watching it this time around or just realizing She's so close. I, if I was her, I would have been yelling at the hound to, you know, get up, pack up, eat your pig's feet on the road, and let's get there. But if she gets there, uh, she dies, uh, most likely. Uh, Arya doesn't want that cart driver killed. The hound relents. Uh, and I love playing a lot of these moments in season three off the final moments that Arya and uh, the hound have in season eight, um, where he kind of... Uh, jars her soul loose from that uh, path of vengeance and 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 she would have ended up like him and I see a lot of that here um and I I really love the moment where the hound does relent there's it would be absolutely nothing for the hound to kill that cart uh, driver uh but Arya doesn't want it and and he sees what's there uh, not necessarily not an innocence I think he already uh knows um He's he's already. I think he's. I think the hound by now is already afraid that uh, Arya would put a. Uh, she says a sword through the back of his uh, through his eye and out the back of his skull, but he sees what's there, and I think that this particular scene probably plays in the hound's mind a lot towards the end when he has uh, clearly developed this connection and affinity for Arya and does view her himself as her true protector in this crazy world. And when he's telling her to go at the end in season eight, I, I think this is the Arya he's seeing, the one that stopped him from doing this, uh, you know, useless killing. Um, and, and I love that uh, about their relationship. And, and they're definitely, and he is, he even says, one day your kindness is going to get you killed. And I think she takes that from him. And uh, though her heart uh, may still be there, but she, she is protected. She is smarter. She is wiser. And uh, in the end, is uh, definitely not killed, and her kindness uh, never does get her killed. So I love the the play off there, and I think that's a lot of uh, big impact for the story forthcoming for on both these characters, uh, characters, but particular uh, Arya. Uh, another one there is Bran jumping up in powers. He's leveling up. Love this idea here. Uh, I know the story of Bran is definitely less popular. I totally get that. I totally get it. But it's pretty important to the story of A Song of Ice and Fire, and A Game of Thrones. Whether or not it ends up in the same place, it doesn't matter. Again, the show's telling its own story. And this is key. We got Bran really determined to go, but now he learns, uh, kind of level up those war powers. And he has to learn them with Hodor, uh, and has to learn them on the fly with uh, uh, the wolves there. Um, um, at the end there, saving, saving John. So, uh, or trying to save John. So I love that. I think that's important. You can't overlook that as he develops more. Uh, and uh, jumps into uh, Summer and Shaggy Dog. Uh, he is he's definitely, uh, he, he has some new powers in the video game he's playing, and I think that's important too. And uh, Danny, Danny and Yukai, uh, she is uh, the great liberator at this point. Uh, some would say also the great conqueror, but I think at this point she is a liberator. We've been tracking Danny. 
and her intentions. And season three is a lot of her discovering, hey, I need an army. I've got an army. I've got power. I've got a reason to use this power, and it's to liberate. And that's where she starts, and uh, that journey goes that way. We'll, we'll follow that out as we um, uh, move a little closer to uh, uh, getting to the end of Danny's story. But we're still in season three. It's a, it's a celebration. Danny is uh, picking up chips on the uh, game board of life here as she uh, tries to move towards the end. And then uh, one of the big um, the impacts on us here is uh, uh, the what we, what we as an audience went through. And I'm going to talk probably a little bit more of some of the themes behind it, the why, the wed, wed, uh, wed, wed, wed wedding, the red wedding as best I can. Um, but we as an audience could never let our guard down again. We probably by this point should have known to never let our guard down. But as a television audience, we never, never failed to learn the lessons from this one. We were always watching. Uh, and even though it still surprised us, even though it continued to hurt us, we were uh, just in a general sense, always watching for the big surprise that would hurt our souls again on the show. Um, some little moments of foreshadowing things with more meaning. One funny thing I'll say about that is the red wedding itself, all through the episode there, the Rens Casimir, but as it relates to what's going on at the twins, there's a lot of foreshadowing in the episode, right? Again, you go back, even the second time you watched it back in 2013, maybe a, a Monday night after you watched it Sunday, you're like, it hurts, but let me watch it again. You just start seeing it all roll out. Uh, from the obvious things, the, the strains of reigns of uh, Castamere causing Catelyn to uh, start to turn around, Black Walter closing the door. There, there's a lot of things, but just, uh, you know, it builds and builds and builds. And this episode has a lot of just things with more meaning for the last 10 minutes of the episode. Some things uh, that uh, pop out, though, uh, is Sam and his books. I love the scene with him and Gilly, her looking at the wall. It's a really great moment. Um, how she says, Craster always said, if, a, you know, no wilding, whoever looked at the wall survived, and here I am uh, looking at the wall, and I'm alive. Love that moment. It's a sweet moment. They've got such a, uh, just a you know, sweet relationship. Can't think of any more uh, syrupy words to describe it than that. But I love um, how she always, she's questioned about how smart he is, and where do you learn this stuff, and all the things he's learned, things about the night Ford, and and where, where and you knew all this because you read marks on a page. Yeah, I read it about it in a very old book. So it's great for Sam. I love that she calls him a wizard um, in this moment. But it's talking about foreshadowing things with more meaning. The knowledge that Sam continues to pull from the books is life-saving knowledge. It's important knowledge. It's key to him. It's key to the story going forward. And I love just kind of seeing uh, a lot of these moments. Uh, season two has a lot of these moments too. But a lot of the moments about Sam and his books and uh, the information he gets from those books and how important they are. Uh, John and Brand so close yet so far. They'll be re reunited again, but there's a couple times. There's more moments in season four, of course, with the mutineers. Oh, so close. Oh, so close. Uh, and what could have been? I, I, I don't like getting... Um, I Game of Thrones uh, um, and Song of Ice and Fire are just... It, it, it does have a lot of what-ifs, and I love playing with the what-ifs. A lot of the early programming here in Castle Talk and Daily Thrones were just they playing around with the what ifs and and uh, what if Ned Stark had left King's Landing and not listened to Baelish? What if this? What if Catelyn hadn't taken Tyrion? And on and on and on. Uh, I love doing those. Uh, I don't like analyzing the stories um, uh, with with that kind of uh, um, um, gaze. I should say uh, uh, it, it, it's 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 not. Uh, 
not productive to engaging with what's in these episodes and what this show is trying to tell us. And I think it can spin you down a path, but they, but it's also just damn fun. And um, I often think of if John had actually seen Bran at this point. What would he have done? And, and I think he would have hindered him more than anything and not uh, let him uh, fulfill uh, his uh, destiny, so to speak, and at least continue his journey. So uh, some fun what-ifs there. Uh, Osha and Rickon going to House Umber and the Last Hearth. Uh, We know that has uh, tragic consequences and something we never really uh, see again until uh, Season 6, of course. So Rickon, farewell. We hardly knew he. Uh, Art Parkinson, uh, great little uh, performer here. I had a chance to meet him a little bit later on uh, at uh, during my time at Screen Junkies. Uh, great, uh, great young guy. Uh, doing great work. And I think this is uh, Rick on his finest stuff. We hadn't really seen Rick on uh, doing this kind of stuff before, and he's great. Uh, I love there's a little tiny moment of Hodor reacting to the mention of Old Nan, of course his great-grandmother, and information that many many knew, and I think even by this point I had been aware of it, kind of looking into the history of some of the characters, is trying not to spoil myself as best I could. But this was not, of course, stuff we'll explore until uh, later on, uh, was season six, some of the, the Hodor stuff there. So uh, we can um, look to back some of these little moments here, and just what they mean more. Of course, Old Nan, uh, not seen since season one. Of course, the actor who portrayed Old Nan passed away before season one actually premiered, so any other additional Old Nan content that could have been used, she appears in the books a few times uh, more. Uh, they couldn't include it in the show. Uh, and the final big one for me, this one hurts. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Jorah fan, I'm a Stannis fan. You can tell by my beard, I love the old grumpy guys in Game of Thrones. Uh, I, I do love Jorah, and I think Game of Thrones does uh, a great job. The show really sets out to do this, of telling you stories that, you know, they don't have these happy endings, and good people don't always do the right things, or they have um, got to come out from the shadows of the things they've done in the past. And Jorah owns a lot of the mistakes he made, but uh, fails to uh, acknowledge and, and maybe process and deal with some of the things he has done and maybe... Uh, would do again. It's often thrown in front of him. I think a lot of the Quaithe stuff uh, in the show was for that reason and for that reason alone to kind of reveal some truths of Jorah, have him face uh, face the truth of, of, of what, he've done, what he's done. He had betrayed Danny before, uh, but now he's no longer that man and he has a great love for her and, and how can he process that? I, uh, as much as I don't like Dario because he's in the way of uh, Jorah getting to the heart of uh, Danny, uh, not that I think that that should have happened. Uh, but it's fun to root against Dario for me. Uh, Dario says, uh, he says an absolute sad truth to Jorah here as they're planning to uh, infiltrate Yunkai. And uh, Jorah, uh, like a lot of us watching, of course, is uh, dubious of uh, of Dario and, and thinks uh, you're going to, you know, you're going to betray us. You'll get a gray worm and I inside the walls. You'll kill us. And there you go. Danny doesn't get Yunkai there. And this is all for naught. And and I, I do love uh, what the, this moment has... Um, for Jorah, it also has great... Uh, I want to give Grey Worm some credit here. When Dario uh, kind of calls Jorah on it, says, in my, uh, you know, in my experience, uh, someone uh, who uh, is so worried about being betrayed and, and, and mistrusts others is, is probably uh, doing some of that himself, right? I'm paraphrasing, of course, but uh, Jorah can't come back from that because he knows. But I love that uh, Jorah deflects it by turning to Grey Worm and saying, you know, you're the commander of the Unsullied now. What do you think? What do you think of this guy? And uh, Grey Worm... As pure loyalty to uh, Danny, as we know, and, and trust Dario. He has done nothing to hurt Danny, so he sees the truth of uh, what Dario is saying, that this is the way to do it, and he trusts them. It's telling. 
and it's telling that Grey Worm will essentially be the one that is uh, left standing by Danny and left standing by um, the idea of Danny. Um, for right or wrong, uh, at the end, some mistakes may be made, but again, that's kind of, kind of the lessons the show wants us to uh, uh, experience here and, and learn from and, and, and ruminate on. Uh, so this moment, this particular moment, uh, is pretty telling. It's a sad truth for Jorah. That we know he will stand by Danny to the, the the end, and I don't think Danny uh, Jor's heart and loyalty for Jor uh, for Danny can be questioned uh, uh, going forward. But he didn't process, he didn't face this truth. He just didn't face it. And maybe at this point, there could have been a way that he could have approached Danny with it, or could have found a way to um, uh, work through it. And uh, he doesn't. He hides. He's in the shadows there, and Dario sees it. So. I uh, love all that there. Love uh, also getting your tweets. You can do so by following me on Twitter at Ken Napsack or just using the hashtag, uh, hashtag Casterly Talk. Hashtag is something else, but we should all use that hashtag, hashtag. But the hashtag Casterly Talk is where you can uh, uh, tweet me and uh, use that hashtag and we can uh, get your comments in future episodes here. Uh, just name the episode, uh, the, the number and the title that you want me to read this in and we'll uh, talk about it. Justin at JCC125 says, I came in six seasons late. I love that. So I was playing catch up, watching episode after episode. When I watched the Red Wedding episode, I didn't watch an episode for three days. The fact that the show, uh, uh, um, uh, the, the next comment there, uh, Justin, I feel you. I feel you. Even for those watching uh, as, uh, as, as, uh, as it happened in front of us, uh, I did watch it a couple days later, but I, I, the rest of that night, I just, and I think I was texting friends and all that kind of stuff, but I just couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it until I think when I started to watch it again it was when I started to go from I just couldn't believe it to I just couldn't believe I missed it uh, and didn't see it coming and I wanted to kind of analyze that. So I'm with you there. Our friend Eric Monroe has the next comment that I was about to read there. says, uh, the fact the show managed to make the Red Wedding even more traumatizing is a credit to the show. Having it start off with a pregnant Talisa getting stabbed in the belly was absolutely brutal. I think when Rob says mother, he was acknowledging she was right about crossing Walter Frey. I admit when it aired, I thought the close-up of Catelyn then was a prelude to Stoneheart. I sat in silence 20 minutes when the episode was over. Um, yeah, we're talking about the Lady Stoneheart of it all here. Uh, but yeah, the silence. That was, that's, that's one of the, the shared experiences as we go back and relive this episode. The silence we kind of all were in. I would love to know, though, if anyone had uh, or saw or experienced anyone else's reactions that was not silence but screaming. <laughs> Or throwing things at the TV. Uh, I'd love to know if you you experienced it that way. But uh, Eric here and Justin kind of um, both saying what I experienced as well. Silence and the need to process, which is a testament. Eric touches on a couple things there. We're going to get to some of the bigger things there. Uh, yeah, again, I, and I, I'm choosing to try to speak as carefully as I can here because I absolutely love the books. And without the books, we don't have this world. Without George R. R. Martin and his suspenders, we don't have the show. We don't have House of Dragon. We have this world. So I'm never, ever going to take anything away. And I don't want anyone to think I'm taking anything away from the books or George. Um, but the show knew, again, it's a visual medium. We have to do something differently. We, we have, don't have thousands of pages in a book and all the inner monologues of the key characters to, to play with. We have to do this differently. So they set out to do it differently. And the fact that at the end of season one, they're like, Richard Madden's great. We want to write more seasons for him, how, uh, more episodes for him in the coming seasons and more scenes for him and give him more things to do as a performer. 
that's a testament to them looking at where they needed to go this, with this character and, and how to make the impact even more. Um, the Talisa moment, it's, 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 it's absolutely brutal. It's absolutely brutal. Um, and, and it's so effective. And it, and it starts things off. And, and again, because that is show only, her pregnancy. Show only. We don't have a book scene with Jane Westerling going, oh, Rob, would you like to name him a little, uh, little Ned? Would you like a Ned 2? Come on. It do, they don't, the book doesn't pull on our heartstrings in that way. It pulls on our heartstrings in other ways. Again, to be clear, it's effective. More than effective. It's traumatizing the books as well. But I think, yeah, the show knew it, what I'd do. And, and that, that moment with Richard Madden, mother, it's just so, it's so guttural. It's so primal. It pulls on so many strings there. Uh, regarding the Stoneheart stuff, we'll address it here now. I thought the end of season four, I, will, I absolutely thought Stoneheart was going to be revealed. Uh, and, and by now, I almost should give, uh, you know, if you haven't read the books and you're planning on it, uh, maybe light spoiler warning. But I think by now, Lady Stoneheart is just so in the pop culture. It's been seven, eight years now since these episodes. Uh, you know, apologies if I'm stepping on something that you don't know. But Catelyn Stark returning as Lady Stoneheart is one of my favorite things from the books. Um, we don't know yet where it kind of goes and ends up and what's kind of the why of it. I always look for the why. I don't want to just look at, uh, you know, uh, the what. I don't want to play on the surface of these things. Lady Stoneheart coming back, why? What's the reason? Tale of Vengeance. What are we, what are we going to get out of that in the books? I'm excited to find out. Absolutely one of the best reveals. I love that reveal in the books. On the show, I thought I, I I absolutely was looking forward to it. I thought at the end of season four, I was watching with a friend. We were at out, we were at her house, and we both looked at each other like, "Here it is, here it, here it is," and it didn't happen. And we did feel kind of feel felt uh, uh, let down. I I understand that uh, feeling. If that's something you all still carry with you, I I am still okay having heard their reasons. And again, that book I always recommend: "A Fire Cannot Kill Dragon." Goes into behind the scenes stuff. It's an oral history. You hear from the creators, Benioff and Weiss and others, of, of why they chose not to do it, why they chose not to do it for the television show, which is, again, a different medium. And I, I agree with what they do. Uh, they, they, wanted, they felt it wouldn't, uh, you know, uh, Michelle Fairley had, had, had given such a great performance in this episode. To have her come back as an undead, essentially mute zombie might uh, not be fair to her, might undercut her. And this moment... Um, whether you not agree with that or not, it's a reason. It's a reason they have. They made a choice. They didn't just cut this out willy-nilly. They made a choice. Uh, I also agree with it from the point of view of uh, a character returning. If you, you would have done it in season four, most likely, right? That's the place for it. Uh, a character returning from the dead um, to this degree. We're not talking Beric Dondarrion. Beric Dondarrion returning from the dead is a, a tease for the possibilities, a tease for what could be if Melisandre can understand it and, and if uh, Thor Samir can fully explain it and uh, explain what it is. Uh, it That does, to me, effectively tease what we will experience later on with Jon Snow. But the idea that, hey, if, if we're going to make this big, uh, impactful return from the dead with Jon Snow... Uh, we don't want it to uh, be undercut by the return of Catelyn Stark as well. Again, you might not agree with that, but it is an answer and it is a choice. And again, for the television show, which from the very beginning, the first 30 seconds of the show, uh, it had set out to tell its own story. 
to play with its own themes and lessons, and uh, I choose to engage with it on that level. Uh, would I have loved to have seen Stoneheart? Yeah. I think it, I would have, having experienced the Red Wedding, going into that blind, I think I wanted to experience that as well. I wanted to be one of those like, ooh, wait for this final episode. Uh, something big's going to happen. And I think it would have shattered... It would have shattered the, 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 the television audience in a good way. It would have uh, broke the internet for, uh, back in the day in 2014 if she had returned to those who uh, did not know. Uh, I, I, and again, a part of me still kind of, uh, I can get behind it. But again, why? What's the point? Um, that's, those are fair questions to ask. Um, why would you do it? Why do you need to do it for the show? Uh, and I think George still has to answer why he did it in the books. I think I'm still waiting for that answer. Still waiting for the continuation of that story. Very uh, excited to get to the end, but I want to see. Then I can fully analyze. To me, that's kind of it. I, I haven't got to the end of the, the, the Stoneheart journey yet. To fully analyze, was it missed in the show? Other than just a big reveal. And how cool would that have been? It's, it's a character that uh, is uh, vengeance-filled with good reason. But I think, I think Arya has that. I think Arya takes that flame and serves that purpose a lot. And uh, in terms of retribution for the phrase, Arya serves that purpose. Uh, and then we have the big moments with Jon and that um, why you would come back and why you would need to come back and, and why would you want to come back. I think Jon handles that. His storyline handles that as well. So at the end of the day... I, I do side with the decision. Um, but it is the one thing, though, if they would go back and do it, yeah, I, I think that they, they could have found a way to do it. It would have been, it would have been cool. But I, I don't know if it would have been uh, as effective as we all maybe want it to have been. But that's just me. This is, uh, I'm not an expert. I, I always say, I'm, I, you know, I, I, sometimes I'm um, introduced on other podcasts as a Game of Thrones expert or a Star Wars expert. That's just not true. I like to consider myself a student of Star Wars. Uh, I like to consider myself a student of Song of Ice and Fire and a student of Game of Thrones. Uh, and hopefully soon, a student of House of the Dragon. I love to continue to learn from these shows. So I'm just saying my opinion and my thoughts on this. Um, I always say, follow the themes, follow the themes. Uh, and that sometimes um, fuels my decisions and answers and, and thoughts and, and points of view. But it might not be yours, and I totally understand that. Uh, and like I said... I can't deny. Would have been really cool. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Let me take a sip of this water. Ah, the wine will flow red. All right. It's just, it's just lemon water there, Roos. Calm down. Themes and lessons. What is this particular episode saying? Now there's the stuff in Yunkai. There's Gilly and Sam. Uh, there's a lot of the cool brand stuff there. I like that stuff. The, 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 the power of the... The Egret and John break up, and and we'll talk later on. We'll talk on some of the uh, episodes in, in season four about the why of Egret. I think Egret's one of the most important characters in the show, brought to life so wonderfully by Rose Leslie. I think there's a lot to take from that character, and essentially, as is often the case in some of these big stories, they're ensembles. But you have you have your main characters. And John, arguably enough, Song of Ice and Fire, I'd say he's one of the main characters. Egret, at the end of the day, Egret, the character, is there to serve the journey of John, to serve his story, which is not to undercut her own story. And her, her own story is tragic. Um, but she is the character that I think changes Jon Snow the most and gives him the most important lessons. 
and changes his perspective. And as John in season three gets his uh, kind of new goal, just to find the, the right way to be a hero, that line from Mance Raider in, in season three, episode one, oh, I know what you want to be. You want to be a hero. Very important moment, but Egret is there to change a lot of that for John. So this, uh, this moment is very important too. But I, I really do want to just dive into the big theme, and I think it plays out a lot in uh, The Red Wedding, but it finds its way into some of the other moments here on this episode. And it's this idea of honor versus survival. We talked a lot about Arya and having the conversation with Thor Samir and Beric Dondarrion, tearfully wondering, maybe hoping, that, hey, you brought Beric back from life uh, now six times or whatever it is. Could you just do it once for someone, maybe if they don't have a head? And I don't, I don't think it works that way. That is a lot of, and, and D.B. Weiss and Benny F. do talk about it a lot too, of, it's, it's, it's this world, this cold world in which Arya is seeing these two men who at this point she doesn't respect. She's watched the Hound leave uh, and, get, and get away with the murder of Micah. And her father, the most honorable man she knows, is dead, gone, beheaded. And there's no honor in this world, or at least her thoughts of honor have been completely destroyed. The, the worldviews, the perspectives completely get uh, blown up a lot by these characters. So you come to this episode, and I think this episode, and I think this show, is constantly talking about honor versus survival. And there's some ways, I think, of season one, was that episode seven, right? The Braun fighting for Tyrion up at the Vale. Love that sequence. I love Braun. Braun's kind of a dirty, nasty guy. Doesn't fight fair, but he wins. And as Liza Aaron screams at him, you did not fight with honor. You're right. But he did. I love that moment. I think it's an important moment. And I actually understand Braun a lot in that moment. I always say I, I kind of at times, Tywin's one of my favorite characters because at times, not that I'm rooting for him, but at times I think he's doing what's right in this world to protect your family, protect your legacy, to win and to survive. There's a lot of other properties. In Star Wars, this is one we study. We talked about it on previous episodes here of Casterly Talk. Star Wars is always asking you, hey, why do you fight and how you fight are equally as important. So Game of Thrones has this real-world approach. It is, um, you know, George R. R. Martin saying, great, Aragorn won, but what are Aragorn's tax policies? Let's get to the real stuff. And I love that. Even uh, Benioff uh, says it in the, um, um, uh, you know, inside the episode stuff for this, uh, this episode. You know, um, the good guys always win in these stories. That's kind of the point. It's about the journey. He does admit that maybe he'd like to see the bad guys win sometimes, which is, uh, you know, maybe an insight into Benioff there. Um, but you, you don't see uh, the hobbits slaughtered uh, um, at, uh, by at a at a feast or something like that. But in the real world, we do. And Game of Thrones, the show, the books, George R. R. Martin, but the show loves to kind of hide behind that in a way. Like, we're going to do some horrible things. We're going we're gonna to stray uh, and, and fray, uh, strain and fray your, uh, your uh, nerves. Um, and we're going to break your heart. And George loves to do that too. And, and I think sometimes it's a, it's, a, it's a joke, it's a wink, it's a nod of who will die next. But I, I, I've tried to analyze it today as best I can. Again, I'm not an expert. I'm a student of this stuff trying to learn even more and more, try to gain more insight into the why of the, the wed, Red Wedding. I don't know why I want to say Wed Wedding today. 
That wascally wabbit is coming to get us. Uh, this show constantly asks you to choose between honor and survival, and often honor loses. What does that mean? We talk about traditions, too, here, the betting ceremonies uh, um, that are so just, uh, you know, uh, foreign and, and brutal and, and barbaric to Talisa. Uh, I would argue to Captain Stark as well, arguing that it's uh, saying every, you know, this is... Uh, 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 something that every every woman has to experience on, on, on their wedding day in this in this world, and how Ned forbade it in in the book and show. In the book, it's, it's that's not the case. Uh, Rosalind, look at Rosalind's Rosalind Frey's face uh, as Edmar's happy oh betting ceremony, and she's just like uh, this is this is uh, this is uh, frightful. Um, uh, it's it's a comment on on this world here, uh, without a doubt there. But it's just tradition, and and Rob's like, yeah, but it's tradition. Guest rights, that's tradition. We take the bread, we take the salt. Yeah, tradition. We got a lot of these, got a lot of these traditions here, um, that have to do with honor. And then this episode just absolutely stamps out honor. It destroys honor. Honor does not lead to survival. So I'm thinking, what is that? Is this show just just punching in the face and punching in the gut or quite literally stabbing you in the gut? The Lannisters send your regards and it just leaves you on the side of the road hurt and bleeding. But I went back to this honor and survival. Uh, we got, again, the Red Wedding, Starks versus the Freys, honor versus uh, survival. The late Walter Frey always choosing the side that's going to lead to his win, uh, lead to a winning team, lead to his survival. Uh, Hound and Arya have this back and forth about don't kill a man. Uh, that's not honorable. But, hey, uh, he points out pretty quickly, your kindness is not going to lead to any kind of survival. So that's at play there. I think going back to a little bit of the stuff with Jon Snow in this scene, I'd never have just seen this, especially upon revisiting this episode and the show over and over again. But as the years have gone by, I've never just seen this simply as um, John is loyal to the Night's Watch, the hat I'm wearing, and wants to get back to them because that was Halfhand's plan, and this is what I got to do. There's a little bit of that at play, but remember, John has been transformed. John is asking himself, "What is it to be a hero? What is the honorable thing to do? What is the right thing to do?" And I think this is the right thing to do. He's still infiltrating uh, the the Free Folk, but he's fallen in love with Egret. She has changed his worldview. I think I think he has a respect for Tormund. But when he sees this, this killing of this innocent man. Steal the horses, yes, but don't kill this old man. He's trying desperately not to do it. I don't think, I don't interpret it. You might interpret it different. I don't think it's just about John going, I don't want to be found out. I'm truly still uh, a Night's Watchman. He does have that great line with Orel, uh, we'll talk about. Um, but I don't think it's just simply that. I'm a good guy in disguise, and they're going to find me out. I think this is about honor. And he chooses honor perhaps over his own survival um he goes into a fight not knowing he was going to survive he's not willing to sacrifice his honor uh to kill that old man who just wants to stand up before he dies to get a little bit of dignity last shred of honor and decency before he is wiped from this earth all that stuff's in play and it all flows nicely into the red wedding that takes traditions and just stomps on it takes honor and stomps on it and it's not just done for shock value. Oh, there's shock value. And you can't tell me that Benioff Weiss, David Nutter, and all the people behind this show, you can't tell me that George R. R. Martin, who couldn't even finish this chapter, he'd go back and finish it. You can't tell me they didn't take a little joy in shocking us and shocking our system and doing it 
to us again. I think there's some fun in that. And I would have fun as a storyteller doing that too. Yeah, absolutely. But what I kept trying to go back of the why the Red Wedding. And D.B. Weiss talked about this. He says, this, this, this episode and, and, and what's going on here. And Rob Stark who has done this for love. He's in this position because of uh, this idea of uh, following his passion, choosing love over uh, a, a promise to, to Walter Frey. And that's a, that's a mistake in this world. Um, everything along the way has been a mistake in this world. Um, not listening to Roose Bolton, maybe at one point could have been construed as a mistake. Uh, the beheading of Richard Karstark, mistake. All the stuff with Catelyn and Jamie Lannister, mistakes. Rob makes a lot of mistakes, but he makes those mistakes for things like love and for things like honor. So D.B. Weiss says this episode, this moment, is about the cost of honor. And I think this show does want to engage you on this level. You got Arya standing before the Hound. Don't kill that man. You got Jon Snow refusing to kill an innocent man. He's, he's definitely not afraid to kill the wildlings there. They're wildlings at that point. They ain't free folk to him at that point. Maybe eager and torment, but he's willing to do that. Um, it's all about choosing honor over maybe your own survival, and is that cost worth it? And I think, in a way, shock value is there. The fun of just storytelling there. Uh, D.B. Uh, Weiss and David Benioff reading the book and going, oh, this would be great to get on, t on TV on, on a show. We've got to get this one on the show. All that stuff is there, and it's part of the legacy of it. And all the viral videos of people reacting and people throwing books across the room and Maisie Williams talking about her brother and mother. They dead, they dead. All those things. It's all part of the legacy of the show. But I think this particular episode is saying you, 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 you experienced Ned Stark's death and that gutted you. You found yourself rooting against, but also for Stannis Baratheon. You, you found yourself, uh, you're rooting for Jamie Lannister uh, at this point in the show. And, 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 you're, and, you're, and you're choosing along the way as an audience. You're choosing in, to believe in the good. You're choosing to believe in the standard storytelling of our times and, 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 and eons before of, of, of the good folks winning and being rewarded for, for the things like following your heart, love, passion, honor, doing the right thing, standing up for the weak, all those things. I think the show is, is asking you, is this worth it? And our answer is yes. Oh, I can think that Braun moment is really cool. Well, he doesn't choose honor. Now, I would say there's some stuff going on that he had to step in for Tyrion. There was some dishonorable stuff going, uh, being thrown at Tyrion. And I think there was some honor in Braun standing up for Tyrion. We can talk about that moment again. We already looked at it here on the, on the episodes here. But I do think we as an audience are answering to the question Game of Thrones is asking. There's a cost of honor. So is it worth it? And it's not just about, hey, if you were robbed, would you go do it again? Would you, would you marry Talisa again? Would you break your bonds? Would you do that all kind of stuff again? No, 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 I don't think it's just about that. I think we continue to choose it. It, it. it reaffirms that these are perhaps the right decisions despite the cost. And like I said, in the rearview mirror, we, we, we have the pain of Ned Stark's death. We have a lot of things in season two that hurt us. Um, but after this one, even though we never trust the show again, even though we're always looking over our shoulder as fans going, who are they going to take out next? When it happens again, 
or when good characters go bad or when good characters have bad things happen to them or when good characters make mistakes and when good characters lose themselves or even the bad characters like, ah, my friend Stannis continues to sacrifice himself for the pursuit of something else, for the pursuit of survival, essentially, eschewing honor for survival. All these characters do it. When it happens again, even up to, I think, Danny's death, we as an audience are choosing to believe that the cost of honor is worth it. And that is why we are hurt even more by what happens. Even uh, rooting for Jamie and Bran getting together. And then they do and he walks away. That broke a lot of people's heart. It pissed a lot of people off. Because we want to choose the side of love and honor and passion and doing what is right. When Danny falls and, and stumbles, there's a lot about what the world does to her. And Danny is someone of honor. She is. She is using her power to help those who have no power. That is what started her journey here. It really started her journey in season three. Season one and two, I think it's a Danny learning powerful lessons, but I think season three, her journey is forever changed, just like Jon Snow's journey is forever changed. Every time Jon Snow stands up for someone and loses his life, in the back of your head, if you're just a TV viewer, even a book viewer, by the way, we, we don't know in the books yet, right? When Jon Snow falls, when Jon Snow is killed by the men who he was supposed to be standing with and who were supposed to stand with him because he chose honor over survival. Let the free folk be on the wall because if they are with us, we have a better chance of surviving. And that's the honorable way to try to survive the Night's Watch is just thinking about survival on the surface so they kill him. All along the way, our hearts are continued to be broke by this show in the best of ways because I think when the show asks us, is the cost of honor worth it? We answer yes every time, which is why I think this show works and why I think the story it's telling is so powerful. Oh, there's a lot of other things that make it work. There's a lot of other things I love about it. But that to me is the end of the day. At the end of the day, where I'm at right now, Students continue to learn, but where am I right now? That is what I think is the why of the, of the Red Wedding. Is the, is the cost worth it? And our answer is yes. That's why our heart breaks. And the sequence is beautiful in this, in this brutal way. It's beautifully done. Brutally done. But beautifully done. It plays out. Uh, gray wind dying. Arya watching the light go out of his eyes. The light of House Stark going out. She's never going to get home in the way she thinks ever again. Rob Stark, who, who, who was there to get vengeance for his father's death, the wrong that was done to an honorable man, he can no longer get it. Talisa, who taught him so much, changed his worldview as well. Gone. Needlessly murdered. And Catelyn Stark, who, who wanted to always choose love and her family and followed those... Um, Goals with passion in all our heart, making mistakes along the way, constantly making mistakes along the way. I used to in my older, uh, younger days, I should say. I'm older now. Gray, gray, gray. But uh, I used to take some shots at Catelyn Stark. Not Michelle Fairley, who's just an amazing actor. But I used to take some shots at Catelyn Stark. A lot of this is her fault, I would say. And on a surface level, if you love engaging with the, this story on only a surface level, level, yeah, she makes a lot of mistakes. Yeah, Rob makes a lot of mistakes. The sins of the Starks, they make a lot of mistakes along the way. They continue to get them into trouble. And when they learn, they sometimes still make mistakes after. Jon Snow, season six, Battle of the Bastards. There, a lot of that is, a, is, a, is John at his lowest. John 
uh, making some mistakes there. But I think it's always to serve this idea of honor over survival or honor versus survival or how do you survive. But look at Catelyn Stark, and I've always I've apologized before on the show to the character of Catelyn Stark. Of uh, just wasn't fair what I was saying. Uh, she asked herself that question from the beginning: Is the cost of honor worth it? Even after my husband um, uh, is taken from me, even after my kids are gone, even after my father's dead now, um, uh, I can't. Winterfell's gone. Everything, everything is taken from. Catelyn Stark, but at the end of the day, she continues to pursue these big notions because the cost is worth it. Just my thoughts on the why of the Red Wedding. There's so many wonderful uh, moments and lines in this episode. Uh, I love this starts, the whole episode starts with Catelyn saying to Rob, are you sure about this? Are you sure about this? And you never know the answer. But he finally decides to listen to her, and I love her line, show them how it feels to lose what they love. Because she has experienced nothing but loss. Nothing but lost. And it's the cost. I mentioned before I love Gilly to Sam. You're like a wizard. Just a great little sweet line. Uh, one of my favorite moments in the show is Arya looking at the twins. We talked about a lot. So close to home. Almost there. And she'll never really ever get there again. It's forever changed. She's forever changed. But just the pain of looking across at the twins, seeing the Stark banner. She's so close. You can feel it. It's... Uh, it's uh, it's just uh, sad and uh, in its own way there. But I love her line, someday I'm going to put a sword through your eye and out the back of your skull. And I, not knowing the end of that journey yet, I thought, I think she's going to do that one day. I'm glad she didn't. Uh, I love there's some, uh, like I said, there's comedy all th- all through the, the episode. A lot of the great stuff with Blackfish. Um, of course, has got to go out and take a piss because uh, uh, he's not supposed to be there, according to the books. But he's there in the show. They get him out, and I love that there, too. But a lot of great comments. But I, one of my favorite lines is uh, Oral looking up at the uh, the uh, castle there, uh, the tower, I should say, not so much the castle, and um, hearing the shouting, pointing out, and Tormund just dis- dismissing him and saying it's, uh, it's thunder, and him just saying, I know the difference between shouting and thunder. I just always like that line. But I do love Jon Snow. Um, as he uh, kills uh, Orel, uh, stabs him and says, you were right the whole time. And there's some truth about that there. Uh, but again, I don't think it's as simple as just John saying, nope, yep, black cloak back on. Um, I think that's part of his path, part of his journey, and part of the purpose. But I don't think it, any, to me at this point, it isn't just carrying out uh, the plan of, uh, of, uh, of Half-Hand. Um, I, I think it's a different journey at this point. Uh, I think it is... Um, he wants to protect his brothers more than defeat the free folk, perhaps, is a way to look at it, too. But I think he is uh, he's on a different journey at this point. But uh, uh, it's, again, honor versus survival. Uh, he goes in this fight, and he wins this one. Though he does get his eyes uh, nearly clawed out there. So some of those favorite uh, moments line. But just the red wedding itself and going back, looking back at, uh, at some of the um, experiences watching it the very first time. And again, I'm joking, but uh, I'm joking at my own expense. I, I, I totally thought the Red Wedding, oh, they, I heard about that. Uh, that's going to be something with Joffrey. It's got, that, well, that wedding can't go right. Well, though a lot of us are right about that. They do such a good job with the laughter and, 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 the, and the, you know, Rosalind Frey being revealed to be pretty and all those little moments and it carried off the bedding. So even Edmer's, oh, careful, ladies. Once you let that dragon out of you, you can't go back in. All the, you're laughing, you're joking. Um, 
the first moments of Reigns of Castamere playing. You got, uh, what's a Will Champion from Coldplay's up there uh, playing the drummer, I believe. Once you hear that music, and again, last week, Second Sons, Cersei Lannister, in that scene with Marjorie, just explains, oh, oh, have you heard that song? Cersei Lannister, Lena Headey, is talking to us as viewers, going, oh, you've, you've heard this Reigns of Castamere song, right? The Lannister theme song has shown up some episodes. I think Tyrion whistles it at one point. Um, people sing it. Yeah, yeah, you've heard that song. But do you know what it means? Do you know it's uh, about my father and the way he strikes back? She was telling us. Uh, but if you're like me, you're not listening. Until that moment. Until that moment. Chills absolutely went down my spine. Swear to God. And they still, it still happens. I've watched, watched The Red Wedding. Not only did I watch this episode twice to go into this episode, I watched uh, uh, earlier, springtime, uh, Grace and I, my, my, my fiancé, we, we watched the whole show again on our own, and even watching it then, it just, it just you get tight, you get worried, you, you start experiencing it all again, and when and the reins of Casimir starts playing, I think it's one of the show's finest moments. I like the moment with Roos, you know, um, the, the peel back of the armor. It's wonderfully awkward in a way. Like, I, I, I keep analyzing, why is, why is, at this point, I guess, Roos is so confident this is happening. And he's not wrong. But he's just kind of like, yeah, I've always hated you, Starks, anyways. Look, chain mail, you're dead. That plays out well. Everything plays out well. And how, how, it, how it is drawn out. And you cut back. You go to the Hound and Arya. You, you go to Arya seeing Grey Wind uh, pass away. Uh, um, it's just hard for me as a pet lover. Uh, that scene hurts. You see all of it there. You see, you see the drunk Starks being murdered all across the... Uh, uh, the grounds there at the twins, but uh, the red wedding stuff just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's so painfully paced in this wonderful way. And even Benioff says, like, by the time you get to the end, when Catelyn Stark has cut the juggler there of the uh, uh, phrase, uh, uh, Walter Frey's uh, latest wife, um, and she's standing there, just no longer even screaming, just in silence. You want it to end, fade to black, get it over. And even then, one more act of brutality at her expense. It is a Hall of Fame moment. For me, it begins uh, with that Reigns of Castamere playing and her turnaround. It gets me every time. Well done. Well done. Well done. Episode stars, we always like to wrap up talking about stars of the episode. Oh, everyone does a wonderful job, but shout out to Michelle Fairley, Oni Chaplin, and Richard Madden. Um, wrapping up their time on the show, uh, I think uh, Una Chaplin did a wonderful job at Talisa. I like Talisa, the character. I, I know some people don't. She's show only. I think she serves a great purpose. I think she is a wonderful, strong character who changes uh, one of our leads for these two seasons. And I uh, really love her work here on the show. Uh, and Richard Madden, so good. Michelle Fairley, just the best. And and truth be told, you look back, first three seasons, season one, Michelle Fairley just on fire, dominating almost every episode. Season two and three, she makes big moves. She does big things. She makes big mistakes. Um, even Michelle Fairley says it's uh, conversations intense time and time again with Michelle Fairley's character. Uh, that's what the story dictated, so I'm not saying that in a negative way, but this was a... Amazing way to end. It's, it's one of the best uh, acting moments ever put to film, I, I absolutely think. So tip of the cap to them and all involved with the Red Wedding. All right, that is it. We've done it. We've taken a look at the big Red Wedding episode, The Reigns of Castamere. We are going to wrap up our look at season three. We are going to Misa.
Season 3, Episode 10, coming next time out here on Casterly Talk. We'll find the whys of that. And what lessons does Danny learn, or does what lessons does Danny not yet pick up on as she uh, goes on in to uh, now... Um, uh, Marine, right? Because we got we got Astapor, we got Yunka, we're going to Marine. She's picking up victories. Everything's everything's coming up, Danny. We're gonna see we're gonna see a little bit uh, what that actually means. Looking forward to that next week. Uh, thanks for uh, listening here to Casterly Talk. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you find your podcast. Don't forget if you are even a podcast listener, head on over to YouTube, search Casterly Talk, and find the YouTube channel. We're trying to grow this YouTube channel as we get ready for House of the Dragon. Uh, we just kind of putting these podcast episodes up, but um, and kind of uh, uh, treading in the water. But as we build towards House of the Dragon, we want you on board on the YouTube channel as well. And don't forget to follow me at Kednapsog. Use the cat hashtag. Castor. I almost said it again. Hashtag use the hashtag Casterly Talk if you want to reach out and talk about any of the uh, big moments or things or experiences, memories of the episodes forthcoming here on Game of Thrones. Always fun to do the big rewatch with all of you. So we'll see you next time. Thanks, Blue Wire Podcast, for hosting us. And don't forget to check out the GPA. Give us a follow with the good people GPA. See you next time here on Casterly Talk. <laughs>